Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. I just want to personally thank you for taking the time to be a part of our church's gathering, even if only via this podcast. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church, and my hope as we open Scripture is that today your understanding and experience of Jesus' gracious love would grow. God bless you. Um, well, I'm very excited. Filling in for Trevor today, we have um, Danny Ramos, which I don't know where he went. Danny wanted us to even know. Now we're in trouble. Found him. Um, Danny is a great friend and mentor to both me and Trevor. He's known Trevor quite a few years longer than me, um, but we both love him and we're very excited to have him here. So, Danny, he's power walking up. Um, so, thank you so much. It's been a while since I followed Blue Paw Prince in order to find the men's restroom. I think I will remember this for a long time. Oh, really? I'm a little taller. Good. Thank you. We're going to be, <clears throat> the title of today's Bible study is The Invitation, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to cover verses 28 through 30. And if you think that because it's only a couple of verses that you're going to get out of here early, that's not going to happen. Um, that's not going to be the case. Um, interesting times in which we live. And even, even more interesting is the opportunity that this year represents for you and for me and for the Church of Jesus Christ in this world. I believe that God's going to ha- has a lot for us to do, a lot for us to be. <clears throat> if you could stop and think about that for a moment who we are in a world that is really looking uh, for some place to tether itself uh, in the many storms that come. And so um, if you don't mind, we'll open with a word of prayer. It's good for you that I can see the clock, and uh, let's pray. So Heavenly Father, uh, we want to lift up all of our family and friends who are experiencing some kind of storm, uh, whether it's related to their health or finances or relationships. We thank you that the scriptures promise us, and many in this room have experienced the reality of you being our anchor in the storm, that you are the source of our stability. And so we look to you, and that even looking to you is called faith. Uh, our crying out to you is, is, is trust. And so be with us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I trust that you found your place to the, the passage or the scripture. It's common. Uh, the terminolo- terminology there is very, uh, we're very familiar with it. But I want to begin with a story, and it's one of those stories where you have to use your imagination a little bit. And It's of an ancient kingdom. And and it, the, the ruler, the king, if you will, was loved by the people, mostly because he himself loved the people so much. And he would make himself accessible. That is, he would go into his kingdom. He would know the people. He would know them by name. It was one of those relationships where it wasn't what he could receive from the people, but what he could give to the people. As he was uh, growing older, this wise king came to the realization that he had no heir. And so he called his, his council together and he said, I want you to bring me, of all the young people in the, in the kingdom, I want you to bring me the best. And, and I want you to bring them on this day at this, this time to come and be before me. And, and from them I will select the, my replacement or the next one who will rule over my people. So this, this little boy was selected from this one region of the kingdom the elders came and they, they talked about him and, and they met with him and his family and they said, you're going to take a long journey and you're going to meet the king. And he was very excited about that until he found out what was really going to be happening. And he really didn't want to go. But finally, his, his community put their hands on him. They blessed him, if you will, and they sent him to see the king. And it, he came to the, to the palace. He was overwhelmed, won by the volume of young people that were making their way into the palace courtyard as well as the palace itself. And so the first time that he visited, he did not have an opportunity to meet the king, but the king spoke to them all. He didn't meet with him personally. The king spoke to all the young people, told them about his heart for his kingdom, his heart for his people, 
And he says, as you leave here today, you will return one day. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you a seed. And you're to take that seed home, and you're to plant it, and you're to water it, and you're to care for it. And then you're to bring the, the plant back to me. Well, this didn't make sense, but remember, he's a wise king. So what do we do? We do what wise people say. So little boy took his, his seed, and he carefully placed it in his pocket, went home, found the most fertile soil that he could find. He planted it in the pot, and daily he cared for it, he watered it, but nothing sprouted. Nothing happened. He went to the elders, and he goes, you know, there's really no reason for me to return to the palace. The idea is I'm supposed to grow this beautiful plant, and nothing's happened. And they said, you are our best. We will send you to the king. And so again, repeating what had happened before, this time with a pot of nothing but dirt, he goes into the courtyard, he sits down, and as he looks around at all of the other young people, there are these exotic flowers and plants, and, and, and each one is called in one by one, and he's sitting there waiting. It, it, it's like he's, he knows he's going to stand before the king this time, and that he's not going to have anything to present him. And So finally he watches the young people go in, the young people leave, the young people go in. He goes, oh, this one's going to be selected. Look how beautiful the flower is. And they leave as well until he is the last one in the palace courtyard. And finally, he comes in. He can't make eye contact with the king. He puts down his pot, and the king says, what's your name? And so he told him his name. He says, from, where are you from? And he says, well, I'm, I'm from this region in your, in your great country. And he said, I, I did my best. I took the seed that you gave me, and I planted it, and I watered it, and I cared for it. But, King, nothing happened. He goes, I, I watched my peers as they came in and left one by one with these exotic and beautiful plants. And then the king looked at the little boy, and he said, you will be the next ruler of my country. And the little boy said, the next ruler of your country, I, I didn't fulfill my responsibility. He says, in order for me to continue to serve and to have peace in my heart, that the next ruler of the country would love my people and would lead with wisdom and character, you need to know that all the seeds were dead. You see, as we meet here this morning, I want you to remember these words. Jesus calls to you because he cares for you when we reply to him. Our character is changed and transformed. As we look to him, we become like him. And if you've lived any life, you know that he calls to you always. But by nature, we generally respond in the midst of a storm. The book of Genesis tells us that it was during the very cool of the day when a breeze made its way through the sanctuary we call Eden. It signaled man of God's presence to stop what he was doing and to move in God's direction. For you see, God came to be with them. It was their great need. It was his great joy. It's important for you and I this morning as we sit here, as we are presented here at the beginning of 2022, to, for you to know as you leave here this morning that you were created to experience Eden's stroll. Human history is marked by the day when instead of moving towards God, man hid from God. You see, deception promised divinity. Instead, it delivered death. Guilt, shame, and fear were immediate, immediate consequences. Powerful emotions that man's children would call normal. And you see, the satisfaction of walking with God why that was transformed, because it became a distant memory. Instead, man, in his fallen state, thought he must merit or work for God. What was forgotten was this transaction of 
taking a stroll, walking with, being changed and transformed by being in his presence. I want you to think of man becoming. I know this is hard to imagine, but if you just press pause this morning, it's hard to imagine, but man himself is continuously empty, never satisfied, and always distant. When it is by his effort, when it is by his work, that he attempts to find satisfaction. You, you, you've been there. Come along with me. That, 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 that goal achieved brings it brings satisfaction for a while. That relationship that transpires certainly does satisfy to a certain level. That 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 thing that you know that that wonderful vacation. And I hope you all have wonderful vacations this year. But for me, a couple of weeks later, I'm sitting at my desk going, "Did I go anywhere? Did I do?" anything you're looking at me as though I am the only person that has ever happened to. I remember being young. I was a construction worker, and I remember being young and purchasing that first car, driving it around from friend to friend. You know, they'd come and check it out, and we'd, you know, we'd drive around the neighborhood, and they were all excited until I arrived at home and realized that that new car smell would be long gone even as the payments on that car would continue, I almost wept. I see some of you, your head's going up and down. You know exactly what I mean. One day Jesus came near. For you see, the wind no longer blows through the trees of a garden, my friends. He causes it to now, that breeze to gently move through the souls of men and of women. David's great poem reminds us that when life leaves us on empty, his presence and only his presence refills us. Psalm 93, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now I'm going to emphasize part of verse 3. He restores my soul. To restore means to renew, to refresh, even to repair or heal my soul. Over the course of our lives, sometimes there are those things said, those things done, that leaves a scar not on our physical body, oh, we have those, but upon our souls that tender spot, that memory with a lot of emotion, he and he alone restores my soul. God alone and no one else, nothing else, revives our soul. This is important for us to remember because I don't know about you. I think I'm going to see some more nodding heads here in a minute. If you don't really, if you don't really connect, that's fine. You know, I'm okay. But listen. I, I, I feel like I tend to be a little bit more like Martha than Mary. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I'm a little bit more like in the kitchen. I don't really cook very much. My wife's here, Wanda's here, but she'd tell you that he doesn't do much. But, but, but I'm, I'm a little more like Martha than Mary. But remember how we were before the fall. Remember what satisfied us. Did you know that there's an entire industry built on the initials DIY? Do you know what that means here this morning? Yeah, do it yourself, right? Do you know what that means to me? Six trips to Home Depot. It means spending more money doing it myself than paying someone else to do it in a fraction of the time. I know the young people at work are saying, well, Danny, you just need to YouTube it. doesn't help me one bit. I go from one YouTube to another YouTube, and actually I waste a whole day when I should be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. The last time I fixed a light switch in our condo, I had to have an electrician come out and fix what I fixed. What did Mary know? She knew God's presence. The story tells us that she sat at Jesus' feet. She sat at Jesus' feet. I find that interesting because that's the posture of a student or a disciple. She sat at Jesus' feet, and speculation, to be sure, she was the only one who heard him say that he would go to Jerusalem that he would be betrayed by friends, handed over to his enemies, 
that he would die and on the third day he would rise again. Why? Because she is the one who came to anoint his body in preparation for his death. She wasn't idle, nor was she unproductive. She simply made Jesus her priority. The storm that pulled her sister failed to move Mary. You, you, you understand about anchors, right? They're dropped down, they attach to the bottom in some way, and when the currents come and move the boat, it moves a little bit, but it doesn't move off course. Mary was anchored. Martha was tossed about back and forth by her storm. Listen, for many of us, our storm can can be like a prolonged uncertainty as to like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Are you anchored by Jesus? Finding rest in, in Jesus gives us, meets our greatest need. The gospel calls us to be with him. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, uh, the writer says, let us then come with confidence or boldness. You know this verse as well. And what are we to do with boldness or confidence? We are to draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, as we look at Matthew 11, beginning again in verse 28, we're going to start now. This passage, this text is unique to Matthew's gospel. We won't find it in Mark or Luke or in John. Jesus' invitation was initially to those who followed a religious system dependent upon self-effort or merit. It's the approach that when I come to God, I certainly do believe in Jesus. I certainly maybe do have the born-again experience where I'm changed and transformed, but I carry with me this idea that I need to add to it. wouldn't verbalize it or say it that way, but that's how I feel. That's how when I come to the garden to walk with him in the cool of the day, listen, I feel like there's something that I'm lacking because I don't understand the message of the God of the gospel is this, that I am lacking everything and he steps in and fills that vacuum. As a matter of fact, when I feel like I need to do more, he asks me to sit at his feet. To these who are under this religious system, again, de dependent upon self-effort, he offers life with three words, come to me. And so as we work our way through this, I would ask you to remember the garden, remember how it was initially, remember that they came to him in great joy prior to the fall. Let's read from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to begin with three thoughts, three ideas. The first is central to the invitation, come to me. As you sit here this morning, do you understand God's character and his nature? Do you understand that he fashioned and created each one of you in this room with the intent of being with you? That he really wants to be with you, that he really wants for you to bring your burdens, to bring those things in your life that we're going to talk about today. He really wants you to bring them to him. Uh, Wanda and I just returned from Phoenix and my daughter lives there with her family. And um, so, so this is this is my life. Uh, I hope they have Kleenex. Hispanic family, obviously, right? Could tell, right? Year-round tan here and everything, right? So in my family, three sisters, no brothers. Okay. Then Wanda and I get married, and we have children. We have two daughters, no sons. And my daughters get married, and there is, until this last fellow that came along, three granddaughters, no sons. So there obviously there's a period of time I'm wondering, am I ever going to have somebody that I can wrestle with or, you know, 
And so he has arrived. Uh, I, I think our wrestling days are just about over, just because Grandpa's getting older and he's getting bigger. But right now he doesn't really understand that concept. But there is never a time when I'm in his presence that I don't reach out my hand and he doesn't reach back and take it. That, my friends, is Christianity. That God has extended his hand to you through the cross of Jesus Christ so that you will simply reach out and take his hand in yours. Do you understand that this morning? Come to me. Unless we understand that Jesus truly wants to shoulder your burdens, we will keep our distance. It is our nature. I I, I wish it wasn't so. We will keep our distance unless we know that he loves us, looks beyond our weakness. As a matter of fact, I would even suggest to you this morning upon our cross, upon his cross, he took our weaknesses upon himself. That one of the aspects of the incarnation, Christmas, right? Gifts, tamales. You, I mean, you guys know what Christmas is all about, right? Is the idea is that God would enter into our world and become like us, yet without sin, so that he could bear our burdens upon himself. If we believe that he cares, we will respond to his call. The second idea or concept is this. It's important to understand our condition. Do we really believe that we need rest? Do we really believe that we need rest? Do we derive our identity, either as men or as women, as young people or as as, uh, older people, do we understand that we need rest? That we need to take that position. And I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about you know something else to add to your list. Do you understand? You understand that you need air. You understand that you need food and sleep. Danny Ramos needs a lot of sleep. We understand these things, but do we understand that our souls need rest? Back to Mary and Martha. Did Martha know during her hectic preparation of a meal that her greatest need was to be with her guest? Perhaps it was her personality type. Perhaps it was cultural expectations regarding hospitality. None of these diminish the fact that the answer to the thirst and the hunger of her soul was in her living room while she was in the kitchen. The third thing, thought, is really a question. How do we offload our burdens? What do we do at 2 o'clock in the morning when we wake up and that long list of people and things that are well beyond our control are tapping their feet uh, by the side of our bed? What do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. I don't want you to, and and I I find this in Christianity, maybe the church. It's like, pray for me and it's done. That's not been my experience. Maybe that's your experience. For me, everything has been a little bit more like a walk. Everything for me has been a little more like a process. Everything has been a little more like me continually depending upon God for the answer of my prayer. Don't get me wrong. If it could be one and done, I would be the front of the line. But maybe there's more beyond our needs than immediate answers to prayer. Maybe something's being developed in you and in me that in eternity will cause us to look a whole lot more like Jesus. So how do we offload our burdens, Danny? Think a process of giving our concerns continually again and again and again to Jesus. And in that process comes transformation. It mirrors a much-needed walk. Our challenge is overcoming our propensity to do rather than to be with him. There's a verse from from 1 Peter 5.7. It's interesting to me that the context is Peter's writing to spiritual leaders, pastors, elders. A fragment of verse 7 is this. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all of your worries, concerns, and burdons. The terminology comes from, and it would have been 
very, very personal to Peter is of us going down to the Sea of Galilee, that freshwater lake, and, and watching a, a fisherman with his with his net, and from the from the shoreline, casting it out into the water, watching it sink down, and then him pulling it back in. At least the casting part, not the pulling back in part. Allow me to read to you from the Amplified Bible's rendering here. Where the Amplified says, casting all your cares, and then here's the amplification, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all of your concerns, once and for all, on him. And it doesn't stop there. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. If you'll notice there, there's a little bit of shepherd terminology. And he continually watches over you. He's watching over you. He's caring for you. So we have the invitation to trust in the first part of verse 8, where Jesus says, come to me. So we begin by knowing that he wants to be with us. Okay, As you leave here today, you're going to watch football. You're going to enjoy this gorgeous day. I, I mean, this day is phenomenal. Uh, but, but, but you're going to go through your day. Do you know, do you know that he wants to be with you? It was a couple of years ago now, and one of the, the banks up in Forest Ranch, not too far from um, uh, the church where I serve, Maranatha Chapel, and uh, I was doing my banking. And so this is Danny Ramos, right? I, I know, apps, Danny, apps. I know, I know. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I have my, my check filled out. I have my deposit in one hand with the slip, and then I have the checks that are going to be deposited and so I'm standing in line, and, and out, of, out of the side over here, I see this gentleman leaving his office and coming, like, right at me, which, you know, I'm here for the, you know, the little candy when you get up to the front, and sometimes they give you the pen for free, but that's another discussion. And he says, sir, can I help you? And I go, no, no, I'm fine. I mean, like, he's persistent, you know, and he, he said, I said, well, okay, you know, it's probably his job, and he comes over, and I go, what do you do? He goes, well, I'm a banker. I go, well, I don't know, I ever met a banker before. I met tellers here all the time. See, they know my name. He goes, well, like, what kind of business do you do here? He goes, I see you come in, and I go, well, you know, I come in, I usually make deposits, or, you know, you know, if I'm doing church business, you know, maybe get some, some money for a trip or something, and he goes, he goes, I would like to show you how to do your banking from home with your phone. I go, I don't want to do that. I like coming to the bank. Sometimes you guys have cookies and treats, and the ladies are always nice. And, and finally he began to realize that he wasn't going to get anywhere with me. And, but, but, but I said, now let me ask you a question. I go, where are you from? He had a little bit of an accent. I didn't say, you have an accent. Where are you from? I, I said, where are you from? And he goes, oh, I'm from the East Coast. I go, how do you like it here? And he goes, well, you know, I really like it here. You're, you guys, San Diego has the best weather, right? That's what they're going to say. You have the best weather. I didn't say anything about Mexican food, but I was kind of working that angle a little bit. And um, he says, you guys have the best weather. And I go, well, let me ask you another question. He goes, sure. So what do you think of Southern Californians? And I go, now take your banker's hat off because I really want to know. And he said, well, you guys are great. He goes, but um, you're different than the people uh, from my hometown. I go, well, no, explain to me. What do you mean? I, I, I want to learn. He goes, he goes, you say, let's catch coffee sometime or come over to the house sometime. And he said, I believe you mean it, but it's never going to happen. He said, if you were in my hometown and somebody said, let's do lunch, they would make you sit down right there and put on your calendar the day and the time. And then he said, you guys are really nice people, but I think you're a little too busy to make some of the things you want to see happen, happen. Jesus says, come to me. And he means it. And he means it. Remember the garden. He created you. He fashioned you to be with him. One of the things storms in life do is they drive us to be with him. You know, stop and think about that for a moment. And none of us here this morning are saying 2022, right? I want something, you know, crisis to come in my life. 
but they drive us to be with him in a way that we would never be with him were it not for the difficulty or the affliction. Let me tell you something else they do. They loosen our grip on this world. Many years ago, my, my daughters are in their 40s. If they knew I was telling you that this morning, they wouldn't be too happy, but nevertheless. And, and I didn't have any money, but I knew that if I was watching the kids, if I took them to Toys R Us, that that would kill a couple of hours at least, that and some yogurt. And so we would go and I'd have the talk with them, look like we're going to look at toys and stuff, but I ain't buying you nothing. You know, we're just going to kill some time. And so they'd disappear down their you know, down the aisle they like to be, and I'd like watching them and they'd drag something back. I go, Oh, that's awesome, put it back. Anyways. But every now and then you'd hear this blood curdling scream coming from some aisle in the store, and all the parents would go rushing to that aisle. You look down the aisle almost with glee in your eyes and you see some parent there doing battle with their child who would not let that toy go. Do you know that sometimes the storms in life are to cause us to want to let the things of this world go? An invitation to be restored. First part of verse 28, come to me is an invitation to trust. An invitation to be restored comes in the latter part of the verse. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary, tired, worn out, have lost their joy. Again, I'm going to reiterate that Jesus' words are spoken to those loaded down by unrealistic expectations of a corrupt religious system. If you go to Israel today, regardless of who the tour guide is, they'll tell you that first century Israel was dominated not only by the Romans militarily, but also by a religious system that had become corrupted. And Jesus issues these words to those who find themselves under that burden. Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus actually rebuked those who burdened people with what they themselves would not do. In Luke eleven forty six, it says, and he said, woe, anytime you hear the word woe, and if it's repeated, it's really bad. It's a form of judgment. And he said, woe to you lawyers or scribes also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one finger. Jesus is the only source of rest. There are those unique times that we get away and it's self-observation. We get away, we're going to go camping and, you know, the push out the door and the drive or the flight and you arrive there. And for me, I don't know about you, for me it's at least three days before I can feel myself begin to rest. Jesus, my friends, is the only source of rest. For us, rest is the relief it's a little nostalgia here. But do you remember when you came to the realization that first time that your sins were forgiven? Do you remember what that felt like? That's rest. I remember when my friends came back in 1978, all my friends came to me and said, like, what happened to you? You don't do what we used to do together. And I couldn't articulate it. I go, I don't know. I just feel different now, man. I feel like clean inside. That's rest. Maybe you've been to a camp or to a retreat. Maybe you've been to a significant communion service and you leave that day and inside you have a, that, that realization of what salvation is personally. Not salvation as to what happens to other people, but salvation as it comes home to you. That is rest. Rest comes when we pour out our hearts to God. Some, sometimes accompanied by some emotion and tears. It comes when we confess sin and understand that all things are under his control. Storms don't disappear because of the application of a formula or necessarily the reading of a book or the achieving of a spiritual experience. Storms don't stop because, remember, a part of the purpose of storms 
is that Christ's nature, his character is being developed in you. But let me stop and say something else. A storm has a beginning and a storm has an end. A storm has, has a time when it commences and then it has a time as it dissipates. But the work that transpires in your heart will last for all of eternity. For all of eternity, that work that God does in your life will stand before him. Our strength is renewed as we continually give Jesus our burdens. Again, a process that transforms us. One more thing about rest and then we'll move on. Rest to me is the assurance that I am right with God. That I am always right with God. I may be impatient or or easily irritated with with my spouse. It may come up to me that, that I've said something, thought something, did something that is inconsistent with all that Christ would want me to be. But rest, my rest, is knowing that Christ has died for each of those sins. Let me read to you a verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because I'm talking about the assurance of rest here. Where Paul writes, For our sake he, God, made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You go to this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It reminds me many years ago when I had this this wristwatch that my father had given to me, and it was it was it was it ran on a battery, and so almost on an annual basis. And this is kind of how Danny works a little bit. I noticed that the date would be off. No need to stop. Just keep going, and it went from the day to the to the month. Nah, it'll be fine. I I, I can manage. Until one morning, I wake up and no, I mean, right? What they say, right? It was accurate two times a day. And so I take my watch down to the jeweler in, in, in our community, usually with a coupon, right? And I, I'd give my watch to him and he put it in an envelope. I would have filled out all my information on there, just basically my phone number. And he said, see you in a couple of days. He'd, he'd put my, my wristwatch in there. He'd tear off the tab and give it to me. A couple of days later, I give him that little tab, had the same number that corresponded with the envelope. And he'd go over, he'd dig it, he'd pull it out. And he'd pull out my watch. There it was cleaned up a little better than it was when I gave it to him, and it was working correctly. Then he would always do this. He'd pull out the stem. There'd be a clock up on the wall. He'd turn it, he'd turn it, put it back in, hand it to me, he goes, see you next year. I put it on my watch. Do you know what he did? He reconciled my watch that had the wrong time with a clock that had the right time. My watch needed to be reconciled or changed so that it had the correct time. Do you know what happened at the cross? You and I were reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. We have been reconciled. We have been made right. Our sin has been completely and totally atoned for. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might in Christ Jesus become the righteousness of God. Let me explain it to you this way. He who knew no sin, that sounds a little arrogant. Let me try and explain it to you this way. He who knew no sin, Jesus for 33 years lived a sinless life. Perfect life. Remember as he was baptized, Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? He was sinless. 33 years. He who knew no sin became sin. He never sinned on the cross. I believe God placed the sin of humanity upon Jesus. Remember John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember upon the cross in his humanity, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So does God places the sin of humanity upon his son while on the cross, God then judged it. I believe from 12 noon to 3 p.m., there was a darkness over the land, and God judged his son. In what way, Danny? I believe, and I don't understand what I'm telling you. God 
withheld himself from his son. That that relationship, that eternal relationship, relationship in some capacity was affected and Jesus in his humanity experienced it while on the cross. My friends, that is where your sin has been dealt with. Jesus took our place and bore our judgment upon the cross. He who knew no sin, 33 years of a perfect life, on the cross bore our sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ in him. And this is what I believe that means, that when God sees you now, he chooses to see you because Jesus has dealt with your sin. He chooses to see you as though you're living that 33 years. He gives you Jesus' right standing before him. And that is the source of rest. That is the inspiration to come to him on a regular basis and to talk to him and to ask him for help, certainly, and to praise and to worship him. Lastly, an invitation to know Jesus in verse 29 and 30, where he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will, re you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' words imply that we have the opportunity to choose between his yoke and many other yokes. In the minds of his hearers, that is, first century Jews, there was the yoke of the law. It was common terminology. The yoke of the law, the yoke of the command. The people would place upon themselves the yoke of the law. I am going to fulfill this, although they never could. I am going to bear this command and that command that my rabbi uh, highly valued. I'm going to fulfill these yo this yoke, which they never could. Jesus invites us to take his yoke, or he's simply asking us to yield ourselves to him. It's interesting to me that woven into this terminology from our perspective, not from his, not from his disciples' perspective, is the fact that he would send his spirit to indwell you so that his yoke, the power to even walk in his yoke would be provided. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Please hear me on this. It is in the storm where God reveals himself to us. It's in the storm where theory that we learn in Bible college or in Bible class or in seminary, it's, it's in the storm that we learn who he is. It's in the storm where we learn what he is like. He says, learn from me. He also offers freedom when we find ourselves oppressed by any other yoke. He's asking you this morning, as you leave here today, enjoy your day, to take every other yoke off and to allow him to take a yoke that is fashioned for you personally. One of the things, maybe not... Olive Branch, maybe other churches. Uh, Christians tend to compare this, have this compare, this game of comparing themselves. They're in a gathering and say, ah, I can't pray like that person over there. I don't know the Bible like that person over there. You know, I don't have the personality to do what that person does. And Jesus says, don't compare yourself to any of them. I have a yoke that is fashioned for you and your personality, and your giftings. Take your eyes off of all these other people and their yokes and come and take my yoke. We see that he's not assertive when he says he's gentle and that he's humble when he says that he's lowly. Jesus calls us to be with him when we are weighed down. He doesn't tell you to do more. And what happens? You will find rest for your souls. This is a direct quote from Jeremiah 16, 616, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, which was a cross-reference to Psalm 116, verse 7, where David says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. If deception offered divinity, yeah, I'm wrapping up. If deception offered divinity, but instead delivered death, then it is Jesus, and only Jesus, who gives life to those who come to him. Verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
We close by acknowledging that there is a yoke and a burden. However, the yoke is easy or well-fitting, and the burden is light. How so? I find this interesting as I was thinking about this idea of how do we find these things out? I mean, it's in the Bible, right? We do everything that's in the Bible. And it comes with clear clarity and understanding. Maybe a, a personal application here. When I'm having difficulty, sometimes I benefit, again, maybe it is my personality type, of pursuing men who are more seasoned in this thing that we call Christianity. These aren't the men who have necessarily been Christians for decades. These are the men who walk with Jesus through difficulties and challenges. The scriptures would call them elders or seasoned saints. These are the ones who have lived life, have fallen down, and by God's grace returned to the race. These are the ones who will not put themselves at the center of their lesson but will place Christ, will lead you to Christ and put your hand in their hand. Close with the story. Why not? A couple of years ago, I read this book. It's called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. The, the authors are Kyle Strobel, if you notice that last name. Yes, that's Lee Strobel's son. And then I had an opportunity to, to meet the other uh, uh, pastor, Pastor Jamin Goggin, who pastors up here in San Marcos. That's why I was able to meet with him. Enjoy the book. It was, it was powerful. I, I know it's been revised here, but one of the things that both men were raised in mega churches. Uh, I, I believe uh, Kyle in, in Chicago and, and Jamin out here on the West Coast, and they met up in, in college and seminary. And, and one of the things that they wanted to know was um, they wanted to use in their book as examples men and women who are now at towards the end of their ministry, at the end of their life. And so they, they met with all these people. And, and, I, and again, I enjoyed reading the book. But there was one in particular, his name was James, Dr. James Houston. And, and, he, and he met, they met with Dr. Houston and his wife, Rita, because they had moved to Canada in 1969 to help start or found Regent College. Reason this caught their attention is because in order to do so, Dr. Houston resigned his position, his highly esteemed position within academia at Oxford University with the C.S. Lewis Institute. You see, Dr. Houston was a disciple of C.S. Lewis. And he had, he had, again, in academia and the university, had worked his way up to this top position. And so there was something about him willingly leaving such a highly esteemed position in order to start fledgling college. So daily they would go to Dr. Houston's apartment. He was caring for his wife. And over three days they would go in and they would meet with him and ask him questions. Their desire was to know what was in him that would cause him to walk away from what everybody else in evangelical Christianity wanted. What it was in him that caused him to abandon what so many were spending all of their time and money hoping to achieve. At the conclusion of the third day, he was walking them to the door, and there had been a conversation between both men, as Kyle, Kyle and, and Jamin. Is that how Rita would appear and be introduced to them, and then she would disappear for a nap and come back, and it would be repeated. And so they said to Dr. Houston, he said, oh, I hope this time together has benefited you in the writing of your book. And they said, in more ways than you know. And he said, what do you mean by that? He goes, we are amazed at how you patiently and tenderly explain to your wife who we were and why we were in her home. That you never at any time became short with her. He says, well, let me tell you a story. 
He said, um, she knew when she was diagnosed that she was losing her memory. And she would come to me on a regular basis and, and, and share her concern of forgetting this person or that person, of where we lived and obviously what we've done. And he says, I'll never forget the time that she came to me and said, I know I'm sick. I know I'm losing my memory. But my greatest fear is that one day I will forget Jesus. And he said, I embraced her in my arms and I assured her, one day we may forget Jesus, but Jesus will never forget us. He calls to you because he cares for you. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We do pray for those who are ill, the O'Keefe's and and so many others. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will remind us that your greatest desire of us is to be with us as we begin this wonderful year, 2022. Might we stop and lay aside the yokes that we have borne this past year of being fearful of uncertainty, of thinking of worst-case scenario. And might we embrace the yoke of hope because, Jesus, you are our anchor in any storm. And our work is transpiring in our hearts that is yielding us a character that is like yours. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.